victimhood culture, I would describe it as a mental plague of a person staying in a nation like this and having to search out oppression. Hello, everybody. I'm Brandon Lewis, founder of the Tennessee Conservative, and today we are joined by Patrick Hampton, VP of Communications and Community Engagement at Hamilton Flourishing. Before we get into the program, if you would please subscribe to the Tennessee Conservative. 93% of reporters do not identify as conservatives, and we try to bring you angles and questions and guests um, that they'll never bring you. So please, before you leave the program, uh, follow us, YouTube, Facebook, 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 you know what I'm trying to say here, Parlor, <laughs> wherever, whatever the new widget is that's out there today so that we can get you uh, local conservative news in the Chattanooga area. Uh, Patrick serves as a voice of strength for his generation, Mr. Hampton's role as minister, educator, charter school administrator, advocate, and strategist have led to hundreds of speaking requests around the world. Hampton is passionate about his work. He asserts the citizens of today are the grassroots leaders of today. If we fail to engage Hamilton County citizens and sow the seeds of true education and empowerment to the next generation of leaders, we will be forced to reap the weeds of our ignorance versus the flower of our love for tomorrow. Patrick is married to his middle school sweetheart, middle school, middle, middle school sweetheart. Good. Damn. <laughs> You make me feel a little weak in that department. Middle school, okay. <laughs> Sweetheart, uh, Sharenda, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, that's correct. Excellent. That's close. Hampton, and uh, they have four handsome boys, Caleb, Joshua, Israel, and Noah. Patrick, welcome to the program, buddy. Thank you for being here. Hey, Brandon, I really appreciate you for inviting me on, and thank you for doing this. This is needed in our community, so you're, you're one of my heroes. Oh, well, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel for heroes then. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad I'm glad to be here and uh, just trying to make sure that we can get conservative news out to the community because we do, we have not up until this point had a conservative news outlet. And um, if you're like me, you read the headlines and you, you read the stories and not only do they skew the facts, they ask the wrong questions. Yes. And you cannot write a good article. You cannot get the news out if you're already asking the wrong question. So we're going to try to ask the right question. And today, you know, the topic of our conversation is really how the culture of victimhood pushes success out of reach. And it's something that I've watched you write about. It's something you know a lot more about and have spoken about and have written about more than me. Um, and I've appreciate what you do with your platform. Uh, it takes a lot of guts to do what you do. So first things first, before we get into the serious stuff about the culture of victimhood, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you uh, outside of your professional career and your work in the community. I just always like to know a little bit about people. You know, what do you do in your free time? And you have a bunch of kids, you probably don't have much free time, but what yeah. are your hobbies outside of politics, outside of community involvement? Just talk a little bit about that. Wow, well, that's that's a great question. I never really get asked that question, but um, my, my free time is mostly with my family. Like you just read, I married my middle school sweetheart. We've been together since, you know, I was 14 years old, you know, and wow. so we started having kids, you know, after we were married in our 20s. And so my biggest hobby is actually fathering my boys. Um, I mentored kids 
uh, in the inner city communities for about a decade. And I got a lot of intelligence from children and young men saying what they needed from their father. And I took all of that information and intelligence and I'm now pouring it into my boys. I, you know, I love teaching them how to drive, teaching them how to respond to girls and teaching them just about culture and life. And that's really what my hobby is. I love baseball. Uh, I've coached all of my boys through baseball. Uh, my that, is, son, that takes a lot of dedication. Oh, yeah. My 15-year-old my son just committed to college. Uh, he's the number one outfielder in Tennessee. Wow. Uh, so he committed to the University of uh, South Carolina. And so at 15 years old, that, that's a huge accomplishment for him. So I just love coaching my boys and mentoring my boys. That is cool. I mean, I had a, a friend, a good one, my, one of my mentors growing up, um, you know, my dad passed on when I was uh, 19. And then even before then, we just had this whole single parent family, not very good situation going on. And uh, a doctor, uh, Garrett, who's a veterinarian, uh, kind of took me under his wing and really showed me that showed me a, a picture of normalcy I had never seen. And uh, he coached his kids through baseball. He's got two two that went on to play uh, ball in school and buddy. I thought 10, 15 years of being a ball coach. And then his kids went yeah. off to school and he's like, what, what am I supposed to do? I like, like, he just his whole, he like, he didn't know what to do with his time anymore. So one day uh, you'll have to get another hobby. It's kind oh of, yeah. So, <laughs> Maybe I'll just start umpiring or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could see, I could see somebody like him doing that. You too. So uh, I followed your writings, comments and posts on Facebook. Uh, your profile, I know you use other mediums, but that's what I see the most. And I want you to discuss, you know, the culture of victimhood directly and indirectly uh, in your post. Talk a little bit about that culture. You know, what is it exactly? It's a, sometimes it's, a, it's something we hear and see, uh, but the left and the liberal news outlets, they, they never take any time to articulate it and why it's harmful or any other mm -hmm. side of it. They just use it as this, um, this propeller. Uh, for their initiative. So talk a little bit about it and uh, exactly what is it, where is it coming from, and when do people start being introduced to it? Yeah, well, that's that's a good, great question as well. When we talk about victimhood uh, culture, you first have to understand one thing, is that we stay in the greatest nation on the earth, okay? And so when we have people that stay in this country and stay in, in, and is a part of this nation, the fact that they have to search out oppression and search out victimhood and search out suffering, that mm -hmm. says a lot in and of itself. It's victimhood culture, I would describe it as a mental plague of a person staying in a nation like this and having to search out oppression from, I mean, different walks of life. For instance, I can give you um, an example. Like, for instance, they say just because you are a white man, you are oppressing black people. Mm -hmm. Not you haven't done anything. You haven't said anything. But victimhood culture is comes from critical race theory that believes that white people oppress others simply by the color of their skin. And what we're seeing is we're like you just said, we're seeing the left use this as a tool to get a whole community in their emotions mm -hmm. and in their feelings to and drive them to the voting polls to vote for the left. 
uh, simply by saying that America is racist. White men are racist. Not only if you're a white man, but if you are a heterosexual man, you that's a second level of oppression. So that's what victimhood culture is. It's no way around it. There's really no cure for it. It's simply a mental plague on a community. So, you know, it's funny. I know a lot of people talk about the, or think about the the other side of it, which is, you know, like if you are, if you're any of the mainstream boxes, if, if you're white, if you're Christian, if you're living in middle America, if you have what they call, I guess occasionally you hear them call them bourgeois values, which is, like, you know, really what my grandpa advocated for, which is get a haircut, right. get a job, <laughs> get married, stay married, even if you fuss and fight forever, you know, just, just tough it out, <laughs> you know, right. stuff that is just, you know, you show up to work on time, but you know, do what do what your boss asks you to do and you'll get a raise. I mean, just very simple, easy things uh, that mm -hmm. are now shunned. But uh, we're going to talk about this later. Um, but really, I, when I look at it, I think about what it does to the people that buy into it, which we'll get into later in the interview. So yeah. where do you see this taking hold the most and not necessarily what the left does to it, but where do you see this taking hold the most? What ages, what communities? Because in my opinion, it does a lot. It causes a lot more damage to the people who believe it than it does the people that it's used against. Right. Um, people that it's used against, it, it may be un politically uncomfortable. It does have political ramifications. But if you buy into it, I mean, it, it has a profound effect on you, your personality. I think it has an effect on your spirit. Um, tell me a little bit about where you see it taking hold. And, mm -hmm. and and what kinds of problems it causes? Well, uh, from my perspective, I see a lot of it in the black community, and and if you and if you really have to study this, because I've I've really taken a lot of time to figure out what the problems are and how can we solve the problems in the black community. But when you go back to slavery, you'll find out like right after slavery, once the Emancipation and Proclamation was signed by President Lincoln. That generation, right after uh, the generation that was in slavery, they started their own businesses. They went out, you had Madam C.J. Walker, you had Booker T. Washington that started their own educational, mm -hmm. uh, education institutes and colleges and universities. So they, out of the gate of slavery, they realized what they needed to do to be successful. But what you had on the flip side, you had those slave owners that had to figure out a way to get black people back on the plantation. And they did this by creating a victimhood culture and making them victims as if they couldn't take care of themselves uh, mm -hmm. without them uh, being on the plantation. This leads all the way down into the 60s to LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson and his great society policies of him actually trying to help the black community by creating policies like if you stayed in government housing, um, you couldn't have a man in the home. And wow. yes, yes, and those I, I did not even I did not even I did not even know that part. Yes, it's called Great Society. The Great no, Society that, that happened. Like that that particular, I mean, that just breaks the family up. Yeah, and so and what ends up happening when you do that, you take the man out of the home. Now you make this woman that may have children or multiple children, now she is actually 
becomes a victim of these policies. And then now you want their vote. So the Democrats, because they had, or the left, they lost the votes of black people. This was their way of getting black people to vote Democrat is to create these policies where they're giving them these uh, welfare programs and things mm -hmm. to keep them on this new plantation. So basically what happened in the black community, they just switched plantations. They went from agriculture to now they're on the government plantation living off of the government. And so those programs were designed for it to be temporary, but now it became permanent because mm -hmm. the left wanted permanent voters. And so that's how uh, victimhood became a culture in the black community. Well, and ain't just a culture in the black community. I grew up in, in a place called Dog Holler, which people <laughs> dropped their stray dogs off, like ramshackle <laughs> trailers and shacks, you know, going up the mountain uh, toward Arab, Alabama. And my cousins and many of my immediate family members, they got caught in that plantation, that, that vote yeah. harvesting plantation. Mm -hmm. And it leads to men, able-bodied, young, good-looking men had their world, their life ahead of, of them. And their whole goal in life was to get on the Alabama lottery, which is a disability mm -hmm. check. I, I mean, one of, my, one of my cousins even shot himself to get on it. Wow. I mean, it's that kind of stuff. And I've got other relatives and friends that have, you know, multiple children, no fathers, stuck in the same government housing for generations. Mm. And so it, it happens on both sides. Yeah. And it's, people think that it's charity when it, it's almost like you walk up to somebody and you vaccinate them against success. Right. Like you it's, just say, well, would, would you like to, if you would like to greatly reduce your chances of having any personal dignity or upward mobility, would you please, here's a check. And buddy, right. you know, you put somebody in a wheelchair long enough and you tell them they can't walk. And you push them around long enough and tell them they can't walk. About 10 years goes by that they'll probably believe they can't walk. Yeah. And it, it will get up. Your legs are perfectly fine. No, I can't walk. And so right. I've, I've seen a lot of this. So, um, and it gets to the point actually to where the government actually starts to in incentivize bad choices. And yeah. that's what ends up happening. And that's how you get caught up into being a victim. And, you know, you stay in that, that state. And then when you have a, a party that comes alongside of you that tells you, listen, you are a victim or you're in this situation because of this party or this group of people, mm -hmm. that's when it becomes a culture and it's hard to break and it's hard to get out of it. Oh, it's hard. It, and I've never understood it because I saw what it did to people I cared about and it, it did nothing. I mean, it, the people that get out of that trap are far and few between. I mean, it's mm -hmm. hard. Once they get you in that trap, it's very difficult to get out of it. And you try to help people. It's like, but then they don't, they don't really want, after a while, it, 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 at the beginning, there's a little bit of, and I've watched this because I've seen dozens of people walk through this, like personally, mm -hmm. friends, family, I watch them walk through that door. And at the beginning, they, they kind of want to get out of it and mm -hmm. they don't want to be a victim. But then after a while, it, it, it is, it's their livelihood mm -hmm. and it becomes a profession. And it's, it, as much as you want to try to help them, they're not able to, to, to receive it as easily. Uh, so you know, we talk about how, how it keeps people from, you know, reaching their full potential, but, you know, what do you think 
are some of the answers to combating this? I mean, uh, obviously there's policy that can be done. There are, are community actions and organizations that can be involved. There's mm-hmm. simple messaging. Um, I mean, sometimes it is, it's the right book at the right time. It's the right mentor at the right time. It's the right, I mean, there's, there's five or six different spheres of influence that can be brought to bear here to, to bring mm-hmm. people out of this victim culture. You know, what do you see as some of the answers? Well, one of the things that I've, I've seen, and, and it, I would say around 2014, um, I actually went into inner city communities wanting to help the younger people see the culture for what it was and to want something better. And what I did, I actually started a summer program. Um, it was sponsored by, by Goodwill. And I called it a work ethic summer program because I wanted to infuse work ethic into this community. I wanted them to know what that word meant. I wanted them to know what it felt like to actually work and earn a living. And so I actually did this summer camp for three years. Uh, It was killed by Obamacare. That's a whole nother uh, story. But I went into the community and I went to schools and I said, I want the 12 to 15 year old kids that don't have anything to do in the summer. And what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna have them four days a week, Friday they can be off and still have their summers, but I want them four days a week. And what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna teach them the history of work ethic from uh, the perspective of Frederick Douglass. So I would show them how Frederick Douglass, or let's say I'll just give you a day of how it went. So they would come to me in the summer at eight o'clock, we would have a class. And I would teach them about Frederick Douglass and how Frederick Douglass went from being a slave to advising five presidents and dying a millionaire. And the reason I'm doing that, because I'm showing them that this is a person that was born way below poverty. When you're born a slave, you're born below poverty, way below. And to see that he, through work ethic, worked himself all the way up. He, He taught himself to read. He wrote five autobiographies and advised five presidents. And actually was the one that convinced Lincoln to free uh, to free the slaves. And so we would teach him about that or Booker T. Washington or all of these people that worked hard to be successful. So they would have that in the morning and then in the evenings or in midday, I would take them to a Goodwill store and they would job shadow for two hours. So they learn how to work a cash register. They learn how to take uh, a bed off of the back of a truck. They learn how to tag clothes. They learn how to mop floors. They learn how to sort clothes. And at the, it was just two hours. And a 12-year-old learning that for oh, two yeah. hours, their legs were hurting. They were saying, <laughs> oh, I didn't know. I was like, well, this is what work is. And then I would job, take them to a company to job shadow. We would go to Covenant or we would come to a company like yours. And uh, we would talk to a CEO and they would tell them how hard they worked to create this company. So at the end of the summer, eight weeks of doing that for four days a week, the kids had a mindset of what work ethic was. And so I did that for three years. And then when they turned 16, I would give them their first job and their first check at a Goodwill store. And okay? that, that, that is awesome. And people do not realize, in my opinion, the younger you can get a kid working. I got started working when I was 13 in a, that vet's office. I worked 13, I guess, till I was 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. You know, scooping dog mess 
out of the runs and you know holding stinky dogs so that you right. know whatever dr garrett or the staff were doing and chasing cows and emus and pigs and you know being in the muck and the mire at right. early in the morning to late in the evening and when you do that stuff and you learn how to work early it gets in your dna and yes. you, can, you can carry that forward but if you don't see that until you're 20 21 22 it is a right. rude awakening in life yeah so that is awesome that you did that so what we got that we've also got you know policies public policies i think um yes things that you know, I, I do believe that private organizations businesses and you know charities will always do a better job in every mm -hmm. instance almost than government policy however policy is really important and we should hold our government accountable to to do those sorts of things mm -hmm. what kind of policies you know do you think aid aid that effort to to make people feel empowered that you know their life is within their control that they have they're living in a land of opportunity and abundance mm -hmm. and that you know whatever happens to them is is really just almost entirely up to them what do you what kind of policies do you think well, would move us in that I, direction? Yes, I can actually cite one of the policies that actually Trump is supporting right now and that he's created for some of these minority communities. And that is he created opportunity zones. Mm -hmm. And these opportunity zones are zones where there are not a lot of businesses or businesses have left that area for whatever reason. It may be, you know, crime. It may be high taxes. It may be you know, uh, they're not fixing the roads or whatever. But if it's an opportunity there for businesses to open, Trump has infused, uh, I believe it was like five, and it's called the Platinum Plan, where he's infusing $500 billion for minorities to start their own businesses in those communities to bring those communities back. Or not just minority, anyone that wants to start a business wow. to help those people. Like, for instance, we see LeBron James complaining about you know, all this stuff that's going on. Well, how about open up a shoe factory in your, in one of those neighborhoods and hire those people to hold, make those yeah, shoes? Hold your breath for that, bud. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so, but see, they complain about it, but those are some oh, of the yeah. things that can be done. And it, like, it's like Trump has made them an opportunity zone. So you get all of these tax benefits for doing it, but you don't see these guys doing it. And so I think that is a way to help when, because a lot of times when government comes in or or someone else comes in to do it, the community don't own it. But when you have people from the community that's, that understands, okay, I can start a business, I can be an entrepreneur, um, they kind of own that. And then you will see others, you know, be courageous and do the same You're thing. You're absolutely right. And tell me what, I mean, if you think about even the, the, down, the transformation of downtown from a kind of a crime-ridden place that nobody wanted to go to. I mean, that was not, that was, that was a lot of private citizens and a lot yes. of business investment with a little bit of a helping hand from the local government. But all mm -hmm. the good stuff that really happens, I mean, it really is, is grassroots level. Because when you're, when your entire, when your entire uh, livelihood and your family's livelihood and your personal reputation are tied up in an endeavor, mm -hmm. You don't half-ass that stuff. Right. And you get in those communities and you work, and that's you know one thing that's always bro you know broken my heart about. Um, combination, we're getting off track here, but both the lockdowns and the um, and and a lot of the rioting is people. It's like they they act. 
they act like these small businesses don't matter and mm -hmm. that and some people can't make a living behind a laptop i mean i work right. with contract i work with contractors all over the united states and can't make a living behind a laptop you got to be right, right there with somebody in close proximity doing things otherwise you know your, your family doesn't get fed and you can even you can give people subsistence but for most right. men and women i mean that's it's soul crushing not to be doing something productive um right. you can get the substance for doing it but it's not the same as, as getting out and doing it so right. other than you know we talked about the platinum program is there anywhere else where you see real progress um in pushing back against maybe not necessarily programs and maybe not necessarily uh policy policy or uh, community organizations, but where do you see messaging that is effective? Because that's that's a really a big part of it because of ideas, words, messages, uh, radio ads, um, mm -hmm. celebrity communication, the news media, it's it's the um, it's the messaging that is mm -hmm. repeatedly put in front of people and after a while it takes hold. And you right. know, good ideas lead to good places, bad ideas lead to bad places. So where have you seen some messaging that you think is is taking hold that's that's kind of putting some cracks in, in the facade of this victimhood culture? Well, um, I don't know if you follow him at all, but uh, Charlie Kirk in Turning Point USA, they have been very effective in going on college campuses to get young people excited again about free markets in, in capitalism. That's really, if you want to get to the core of the issue, is really the miseducation of students in our public school system um, about capitalism. They are being taught that capitalism is a bad thing and that, you know, uh, they're, they're, like, you, like yeah. you said earlier, they're being oppressed and only white people or the white man is benefiting from capitalism. And so that's why I like what Charlie does is that he goes on campuses with these college students without a college degree. He doesn't have a college degree. And that's how Candace Owens got her start as well. Um, neither one of them have a college degree, but they went on these campus campuses to talk about free market systems and what it means to be an entrepreneur and how, you know, this system or, or this education system and being in debt, $150,000 is not helping people. And so that's what I think needs to happen. I think more and if more and more people like yourself and people like myself begin to let people know our stories, how you came from where you came from and started a business that's impacting so many lives. And me telling my story of, you know, how I grew up and having mm -hmm. a father in the home, those messages matter. And I think we need to start teaching it at a very young age. Uh, there are books out there, the Total Twins. I don't know if you've heard of. I've heard seen of seen the advertisements. Yeah. Yes, we, the Total we, Twins. We had the, uh, that is a very good series for kids to learn about our government in America. Well, it is. I can't remember what it was. I think we bought. You know, I, I differ with her on on matters of faith, but uh, the uh, Atlas Shrugged is such a good. I mean, God knows you couldn't read seven hundred pages of that slow moving <laughs> stuff to a kid. But, you know, they, they wrote a little, you know, a story about it with, you know, and Atlas was the uh, Atlas was the strong man in the circus. And then you had, of course, kind of disparaging the clowns. Right. <laughs> the clowns to, and, you know, I, I read that to my child when she was very young and she's like, Daddy, why, why did the clown? I mean, a kid knows instinctively, right? And I said, why did the 
why do the clowns want to take the strong man's money? I was like, well, there's a lot of clowns out there that want to take yeah. the strong man. <laughs> so right. you have to teach them that. Um, so, you know, it's been an honor having you on the program. If if people want to learn more about what you do uh, at Hamilton Flourishing or just, you know, learn more about what you do uh, yourself, uh, where would they go to get that information? Well, uh, you can follow Hamilton Flourishing on Facebook, uh, and you can follow me as well. I have a podcast that I'm doing. I actually had to stop doing it during COVID because I was teaching my children at home. But uh, yeah. I'm going to get it started back up. It's called The Patrick Perspective. Uh, so you can go to The Patrick Perspective on Facebook, or you can find me at Patrick D. Hampton on Facebook. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter as well as Patrick D. Hampton. Uh, or you can go to my website and read some of my writings from the Patriot Post at www.patrickdhampton.net. Yeah, if you don't have the D in there, I don't know who the other Patrick Hampton is, but you're right. not be nearly as good. It's going to be a knockoff version. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the last thing I really want to talk talk about before we close is if, if somebody's watching this, you never know. You never know. Um, if somebody's watching this and they're having a hard time of it, they bought into some of this, uh, everything's somebody else's fault or everything is some system's fault or my situation is untenable and I can't ever get past it unless somebody gets into the White House or something else happens externally. What would you tell someone like that who who feels like that they, they can't get out of where they are, that, that, that their future is tied up and is in someone else's hands? Yeah, well, I want I would tell a person like that to first of all that you have to look here, you have to one believe that God created you for a purpose. You have to believe that you are on this earth for a purpose, and there is nothing that another man can do that you can't do. You have to understand that you were created equal, even though people out there that says that you know there's all of these inequalities. And all of this stuff out there, you have to believe that you were created equal by God. That was Amen. Martin Luther Amen. King. That was one of his main uh, messages that we were created equal by God. Once you do that, you have to realize that you can work just as hard as the next man to be successful. Success, there is nowhere in the dictionary uh, about work or success coming before work or no. work becoming before success. You have to believe that you got to work hard to be successful. So I would tell people that having a proper attitude, having showing up on time is important. Appreciating those that help you, that's very important. Another uh, thing that I teach people, when you are when you are in a situation where you feel like that you want to give up and you 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 can't see anywhere else to go. Stop right there. Ask God for direction. Pray and look for God to show you a way out. The scripture says that he will never put more on you than you can bear. So I would leave a person with that and say, listen, work hard, be successful and put God first. Man, that is a good place to leave it. And I'm right there with you. I've, I've watched scores of people from drug addiction, awful financial situations, ruined, wrecked marriages, awful childhood situations, 
if you put the inputs in, the outputs will follow. Maybe not immediately, maybe not in some kind of, you know, um, old faithful geyser of immediate right. results. But, buddy, if you just keep slogging, if you keep trying to look for the resources, I mean, you may get knocked down a couple of times, but I've, I've yet to see a human, and I've, I've coached hundreds of small business owners, mm -hmm. if they will just put in the time and the effort, I've never seen one really fail. I've never right. seen one fail. I've never mm -hmm. seen one regress that mm -hmm. much. And so I just wish it breaks my heart when people think it, that they can't succeed because I just I don't see any evidence for that. Right. I personally have not seen any evidence of that. Mm. I've seen exactly the opposite. So right. I'm so glad to have you on this program. It's been a great a great um, a great visit. Hopefully, some folks picked up something and uh, can leave some of these you know some of these messages about victimhood behind that have crippled so many for so long. So if you've enjoyed this program please go to tennesseeconservativenews.com and uh, you can also follow us on Parler, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, wherever they've not shadow banned us uh, or in the process of doing yet. Um, until next time, I'm Brandon Lewis with the Tennessee Conservative where hopefully socialism dies in daylight. Take care.